Ezekiel chapter 16. This is the longest chapter in Ezekiel because it goes into great detail about the agony that the Lord experiences in his relationship with Israel. Verse 1 And there is a word of Jehovah unto me, saying, This is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel the prophet, and then Ezekiel is going to share what the Lord said with all of the people. 2 Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and thou hast said, Jerusalem, the city, is guilty of many abominations. An abomination is something that the Lord hates and will not tolerate. 3. Thus said the Lord Jehovah to Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity are of the land of the Canaanite, thy father the Amorite, and thy mother a Hittite. Your nativity means the day that you were born. The Israelites were born in the land of Canaan, Their father was an Amorite, metaphorically, and their mother was a Hittite. These are pagans. They were born in a pagan land among pagans. The Israelites descend from Abraham, and Abraham did come from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. So he came from a pagan land, and then the Lord told him to go to Canaan. Although Abraham was a righteous man, The Lord here is insulting the Israelites in general by saying that both their female ancestors and their male ancestors were pagans, and he's reminding them of their own sin by saying this. 4. As to the nativity in the day thou wast born, thou, thy navel hath not been cut, and in the water thou wast not washed for ease, and thou hast not been salted at all and thou hast not been swaddled at all. The Lord says that when Israel was born, no one took care of it. No one cut the umbilical cord, no one washed the blood off, no one rubbed salt gently on the skin to take the excess moisture away and heal it, and no one swaddled the baby. And babies love to be swaddled. It makes them feel safe and secure. The baby was born without any help or comfort and it was not secure. It wasn't safe. This is a metaphor saying Abraham had nobody looking over him until he met the Lord. And that's why Abraham loved the Lord so much. But even more so, this verse is talking about when Israel was first born, when the Israelites came over the Jordan River and first settled in the land Joshua caused the people to obey the Lord. But shortly after Joshua, they started sinning and going back to paganism. But the Lord is saying that he established them when no one else would establish them. No one came to help the Israelites. It was only God. 5. No eye hath had pity on thee, to do to thee any of these, to have compassion on thee, and thou art cast on the face of the field, with loathing of thy person, in the day thou hast been born, thou. God says metaphorically, when you were born, the world just tossed you out into the field to die. No one helped you or nursed you or took care of you in your early days. This is talking about the early days of the Israelites. The pagan nations around the Israelites were constantly jealous of them and warring with them, and God was their only friend. This is true of us as well. The world never did us any favors. 
Even though in sin we worship and follow the world, it never gives that love back. The world is selfish, hateful, and cold. Our only friend is God. 6. And I do pass over by thee, and I see thee trodden down in thy blood, and I say to thee in thy blood, live, and I say to thee in thy blood, live. It is the Lord that brought the people of Israel to his life, and it's the Lord that brought the nation of Israel to life. He looked at it and he spoke, and he said, live. That's the only reason that there is a nation of Israel. And we have evidence of that today. The whole world in general hates Israel and wants it annihilated. Metaphorically, he looked at this baby that nobody washed off after it was born, and it's still covered in blood, and he told it to live. 7. A myrid, as the shoot of the field I have made thee, and thou art multiplied, and art great, and comest in with an excellent adornment, breasts have been formed, and thy hair hath grown, and thou naked and bare. God says, when I met you, you were naked, you had nothing. But I have raised you up, and I've made you a myrid. Myrid means tens of thousands. The population of Israel was actually in the millions, so this is an understatement when he says that he made Israel a myrid. He caused Israel to grow up and become a young lady with breasts and hair. Israel is always referred to as a woman just as any nation is, because female means many and male means one. This is why God always has a male persona in the Bible. And it's false doctrine to say that God is male and female. He certainly is not, because he is not many. He is one, just as the Bible says. And male means one. Female means many. A nation is many people. The ocean is many waves and many waters. So oceans have a female persona. Cars have many parts. Boats have many parts. So they also have a female persona. A church has many people in it, so a church has a female persona. The bride of Christ has a female persona, because it is full of many people. And God is one of a kind, and he's the only one. That's why he is always male in the Bible. He never ever has a female persona anywhere in scripture. In the family, the father represents the oneness of God, and that's why the Lord gave the father the authority to make decisions for the family's welfare. And the mother represents many because out of her body comes all of the children. Men are not God, and women are not less than men, but each gender has a specific purpose in the family, and each gender plays a specific role. Jesus wants his bride. He highly values her, and that's why a husband wants his wife. He highly values his wife. So a wife is not of little value. She's of great value. In fact, Jesus died for his bride. And a husband in the New Testament is called to sacrifice his life for his own wife if it should be required for her to live. It's actually a commandment in the Bible that a husband sacrifices his life for his wife if it's needed. Female is highly valued but it's not God, and it doesn't represent God, and God will never be female because he will never be many. He is always one.
So in this metaphor, God is male and Israel is female. 8. And I pass over by thee, and I see thee, and lo, thy time is a time of loves, and I spread my skirt over thee, and I cover thy nakedness, and I swear to thee, and come into a covenant with thee, an affirmation of the Lord Jehovah, and thou dost become mine. The Lord says that he covered the nakedness of this young woman, and he made a covenant with her that she would belong to him as a bride. This is what the Lord did with Israel. Now, today there's false doctrine saying a covenant means that God will always do his part whether we do our part or not, and that's false doctrine. The Old Testament and the New Testament teach us that a covenant is when you have a mutual agreement. Each party has to do their part in order for the covenant to stand. So if one party violates the covenant, then the covenant is broken, which means that if we turn our backs on the Lord and we sin against him and we don't repent, then we have broken the covenant that he made with us for salvation. This again is more evidence that people can and do lose their salvation. When the Lord makes a covenant with us for our salvation, it does require that we fulfill our part, which is to obey his commands and put 100% of our faith in him. He isn't obligated to continue saving us if we break the covenant. He himself will never break the covenant because he's God and he is love. But we can break the covenant by violating our part of the contract. 9. And I do wash thee with water, and I wash away thy blood from off thee, and I anoint thee with perfume. He intended to marry Israel that nobody loved, but he grew it up first when Israel was a baby. He washed it, and he clothed it, and took care of it, and he even anointed it with perfume. 10. And I clothe thee with embroidery, and I shoe thee with badger's skin, and I gird thee with fine linen, and I cover thee with figured silk. Embroidered garments are very expensive, even today. He put embroidered garments on Israel. He gave Israel very posh shoes made of badger's skin, and he put linen on Israel for undergarments, and linen prevents you from sweating. And then he put silk as the outer garment on Israel, and silk also is for comfort. So he comforted Israel in its early days, back when Joshua brought the people over the Jordan River and started settling the land. 11. And I adorn thee with adornments, and I give thee bracelets for thy hands, and a chain for thy neck. This shows abundance. The Lord blessed Israel in abundance, because a woman doesn't need jewelry. Jewelry is extra. It means that you're well-loved, and that's what the Lord did for Israel. 12. And I give a ring for thy nose, and rings for thine ears, and a crown of beauty on thy head. The Lord even gave Israel a crown of beauty. This is a spiritual crown. In Revelation, we see an image of Israel as a constellation in the sky, and she has a crown that has twelve points on it, and each point represents one of the tribes of Israel. 13. And thou dost put on gold and silver, and thy clothing is fine linen, 
and figured silk and embroidery, fine flour and honey and oil thou hast eaten, and thou art very beautiful and dost go prosperously to the kingdom. The Lord fed Israel the best food. The land of Canaan was a very flourishing, fertile land, and that's where he placed Israel. Flour, honey, and oil are expensive foods because in the case of honey, you have to sometimes risk your life to obtain it. And with flour and oil, they have to be processed, which means there's a lot of preparation and a lot of man hours put into creating those foods. You don't just pick it off a tree and eat it. He gave Israel foods that required preparation, farming, and industry, which shows that he built Israel up as a country that could support itself. 14. And go forth doth thy name among nations because of thy beauty, for it is complete in my honor that I have set upon thee an affirmation of the Lord Jehovah. The Lord says that all the other nations knew how beautiful you were, and they knew how much I had done to beautify you. He set Israel in a beautiful lush land that had the sea right next to it and a river flowing through it. He gave it great agriculture, and he protected it. Under King David, Israel was doing great financially. Under King Solomon, it became the richest kingdom in the entire world. 15. And thou dost trust in thy beauty, and goest a-whoring because of thy renown, and dost pour out thy whoredoms over, on every passer-by, to him it is. Now he's continuing the metaphor, and he says that Israel saw that she was beautiful, and then she turned herself into a whore just to get attention from the other nations. So she enticed the other nations into sexual perversion, and in turn, she worshipped their false gods. This is a metaphor for buying, selling, trading, and making political deals with other nations, which Israel wasn't to do. The Lord said that Israel was only allowed to loan to other nations, but to never take out a loan. In other words, Israel was not allowed to owe the other nations anything, and had to look to the Lord for her subsistence. But yet Israel worshipped the gods of other nations and made business deals with other nations and took their wives to marry, and that spread paganism in Israel. When we worship false gods, it's called idolatry, but in the spirit it resembles adultery or fornication. Fornication and adultery are also metaphors for worshipping idols. Because we're cheating on the Lord. He's our husband. He's the one who provides. But yet we go and give our allegiance to something else. 16. And thou dost take of thy garments, and dost make to thee spotted high places, and dost go a-whoring upon them, and they are not coming in, nor shall it be. Now the metaphor is saying that the garment that he put on Israel was spotted she got it dirty because she practiced idol worship. She built these mounds where she would go up and worship false gods. These are man-made hills that the pagans created to go up and sacrifice their children to the gods or offer the gods perfume or whatever they had. And the Lord says that each of these mounds is like a spot of dirt on Israel's clothing. 17. And thou dost take 
thy beauteous vessels of my gold and my silver that I gave to thee, and dost make to thee images of a male, and dost go a-whoring with them. This is probably literal as well as metaphor. They made images of the phallus, which is the penis when it's erected. So they made golden images of erected penises. This is all part of paganism because it worships the false gods of fertility. And if you sacrifice your children to them or if you commit perverted sexual acts, then the belief is that you will be fertile and have many children. So he says he made Israel beautiful and then she turned herself into a whore and started practicing sexual perversion even with objects that she created using the gold from the Lord's own temple. So they downgraded the temple to create these idols for false gods. 18. And dost take the garments of thy embroidery, and thou dost cover them, and my oil and my perfume thou hast set before them. He says that Israel that he made beautiful took the clothing that the Lord gave her and gave it as an offering to the false gods, and took the perfume that she was supposed to give to the Lord, which is prescribed in the book Leviticus, she took it and gave it to false gods instead. 19. And my bread that I gave to thee, fine flour and oil and honey, that I caused thee to eat, thou hast even set it before them, for a sweet fragrance, thus it is an affirmation of the Lord Jehovah. The bread that God gave Israel, Israel used to give as a sacrifice or an offering to the false demon gods. 20. And thou dost take thy sons and thy daughters, whom thou hast borne to me, and dost sacrifice them to them for food. Is it a little thing because of thy whoredoms? The Lord says, I gave you children, because he caused the Israelites to multiply and turn into millions of people. But he says, the children that I gave you, you sacrificed to these false gods. In this chapter, it had said that Israel saw that she was beautiful, and that was when she turned into a whore. The same thing happened with Satan. When he was Lucifer in heaven, he saw that he was beautiful, and that was when he started worshiping himself and causing other angels to worship him. We need to remember that whatever beauty, talents, or wealth, or career, or accomplishments we have, we cannot take credit for it. We can't look at ourselves and say, oh, I'm so great. Because we wouldn't have any of those things if God didn't give them to us. No one was ever born beautiful except by the Lord's choice. He had a purpose for them to be beautiful. No one was ever born into a rich family except by the Lord's choice. No one was ever born with a great gift or talent or intelligence except by the Lord's choice. And he could have chosen to make you poor, mentally disabled, and physically disfigured if he had wanted that. So we can't take credit for what we have. It seems to often be the first way that people fall into sin is pride. They take credit for what God has done in their lives, and then they go down this terrible path. 21. That thou dost slaughter my sons, and dost give them up in causing them to pass over to them. The Israelites copycatted the pagans, and what the pagans did was they would cause their children to walk on fire. 
they would force them to walk on fire, and then the children would die walking on fire. Sometimes it would be burning coals, sometimes maybe it was burning wood. Nevertheless, the children had to walk on a path of fire toward an idol, and the children would lose their lives that way. So it was a torturous death. It wasn't even a quick death. It was torture. 22. And with all thine abominations and thy whoredoms thou hast not remembered the days of thy youth, when thou wast naked and bare, trodden down in thy blood thou wast. He says, you don't even remember what I did for you. You don't remember where you came from, that you had absolutely nothing and no friends. You're whoring with these other idols as if you were always great, and you weren't. I made you great. 23. And it cometh to pass after all thy wickedness, woe, woe to thee, an affirmation of the Lord Jehovah. 24. That thou dost build to thee an arch, and dost make to thee a high place in every broad place. These arches that are around the world, like the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, and I think there's another Arc in London, these are pagan idols. This is another example of the whoredom or the idolatry of the Israelites. 25. At every head of the way thou hast built thy high place, and thou dost make thy beauty abominable, and dost open wide thy feet to every passerby, and dost multiply thy whoredoms. Israel laid down just like a brazen whore with her legs spread open, enticing the other nations to have sex with her. This is a metaphor for Israel buying, trading, and making deals and political agreements with other nations, which they were never allowed to do. But you're going to see that this whore is worse than a typical whore. The Lord will explain why here further on in the chapter. 26. And dost go a-whoring unto sons of Egypt, thy neighbors, great of appetite, and thou dost multiply thy whoredoms to provoke me to anger. Some people would say, how dare God talk so explicitly and say such terrible sexual things. But the reality is, how dare the Israelites live this way? How dare they worship false gods? In the Lord's eyes, it's just as hideous as when a wife goes out and cheats on her husband by sleeping with everyone in town. This is a metaphor for how the Lord felt about Israel. She offered herself up to every pagan nation around her for political deals and financial profit, and she in turn practice all of the evil, heinous things that the pagan nations did. So it's just as bad as a wife laying out in the street with her legs spread open for anyone. At this time, the Israelites were putting their trust in Egypt instead of the Lord. Instead of repenting of their sins and asking God to help them, they were banking on Egypt helping them. And we learned in the book of Jeremiah that God foiled that plan. When the Egyptians came to assist the Israelites during the siege of Jerusalem, the Lord sent the Egyptians right back home, and they never even were able to help the Israelites at all. And here the Lord complains, and he says, you think Egypt's going to help you, and you worshipped their false idols to get their help. 27. And lo, I have stretched out my hand against thee, and I diminish thy portion, and give thee to the desire of those hating thee the daughters of the Philistines, who are ashamed of thy wicked way. 
the Lord says that he gave some of the Israelites inheritance to the pagans, and he uses the Philistines as his first example, and says that I gave them some of your territory because of your sins, because you worshiped their gods. Now we saw this over and over in the Old Testament throughout all of the reigns of the kings of Israel and Judah. Anytime the people sinned, the Lord would allow the pagans to take over their cities. And then when the Israelites repented, then the Lord would allow the Israelites to take their cities back. And he says, even the Philistines blushed at how bad the Israelites sinned. So these Israelites were taking paganism to a higher extreme. 28. And thou goest a-whoring unto sons of Ashur, without thy being satisfied, and thou dost go a-whoring with them, and also thou hast not been satisfied. He says that Israel slept with Egypt, and it wasn't enough. Sex. And then she slept with the Philistines, and it wasn't enough. And then she slept with the Assyrians, and it wasn't enough sex for her. All of this is a metaphor that Israel wasn't satisfied just having an alliance with one pagan nation. Israel wanted alliances with all of the pagan nations, and was greedy and lusty for power and profit and political influence. Christians are not called to be influencers. We're called to obey the Lord. 29. And thou dost multiply thy whoredoms on the land of Canaan toward Chaldea, and even with this thou hast not been satisfied. They even practiced whoredom with the Canaanites that they didn't expel from the land as the Lord told them to. Instead, they let some of the Canaanites stay in the land of Israel, and they practiced idol worship with them. 30. How weak is thy heart, an affirmation of the Lord Jehovah, in thy doing all these, the work of a domineering whorish woman. The Lord calls Israel a domineering whore, in addition to sleeping with everybody who crosses her path. She also wants to dominate and control. Just as people can be manipulated with sex, Israel was using political connections to try to manipulate the nations around her and make them be her friends. This is because she lost faith in God. She didn't want help from God. You know, when we're living in sin, we don't have faith that God is going to help us. We don't see him as a source to ask anything from. So we look to the world for help, and we want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend who supports us, or we want to get a job in a bad place because it pays good money, such as being a bartender. We make choices like that, believing that the world will protect us and help us and promote us. But this is sin. The only person we should look to is God. 31. And in thy building, thine arch at the head of every way, thy high place thou hast made in every broad place, and hast not been as a whore deriding a gift. 32. The wife who committeth adultery under her husband doth receive strangers. 33. To all whores they give a gift, and thou hast given thy gifts to all thy lovers, and dost bribe them to come in unto thee from round about in thy whoredoms. In these last three verses, the Lord is saying why Israel is a worse whore than a typical whore. A typical whore requires payment, or else she isn't going to have sex with the client. But the Lord says, you were not requiring payment from these pagan nations. You were paying them 
to have sex with you. The Lord points out that Israel wasn't benefiting from any of these political or financial deals that she was making with the pagan nations. She actually had the short end of the straw in her effort to protect herself with all of these nations. All of them were taking advantage of her. She was the ultimate whore because she paid the financial price to compromise herself for the benefit of all of these nations. This is a huge put down to Israel. He's, God loved them and was there to help them and guide them and direct them and provide for them and protect them, but they refused it from the Lord. 34. And the contrary is in thee from women in thy whoredoms, that after thee none doth go a-whoring, and in thy giving a gift, and a gift hath not been given to thee, and thou art become contrary. The Lord is explaining that Israel is an overbearing, bossy, cranky woman because she doesn't get anything for what she does. She worships all the gods of these false nations, but they still take financial advantage of her, and they're not really there for her. 35. Therefore, O whore, hear a word of Jehovah. All of us who practice sin and refuse to repent, if we do that, we're living like spiritual whores. We should be ashamed of ourselves, and we should realize that we're not helping our spiritual case at all with the Lord. The only thing to do is to humble ourselves and repent, and then He will cleanse our lives and build His character in us. But as long as we remain proud, we're going to keep living like a filthy whore. 36. Thus said the Lord Jehovah, because of thy brass being poured forth, and thy nakedness is revealed in thy whoredoms near thy lovers, and near all the idols of thy abominations, and according to the blood of thy sons, whom thou hast given to them. 37. Therefore, lo, I am assembling all thy lovers, to whom thou hast been sweet, and all whom thou hast loved, besides all whom thou hast hated, and I have assembled them by thee round about and have revealed thy nakedness to them, and they have seen all thy nakedness. Israel exposed itself to the pagan nations that it liked. It showed the pagan nations what they could rob from it materialistically. And the Lord says, Because you exposed all of your wealth and all of your blessings to these pagan nations so that they would know what they could take from you, I am going to make you naked before all of the nations, so that all of the nations will know what they can take, and I am going to let the pagan nations, even those that you hated, take from you and rob you. 38. And I have judged thee, judgments of adulteresses, and of women shedding blood, and have given thee blood, fury, and jealousy. The Israelites shed the blood of their own children. And the Lord is going to judge them just as he would any woman who kills her own children. 39. And I have given thee into their hand, and they have thrown down thine arch, and they have broken down thy high places, and they have stripped thee of thy garments, and they have taken thy beauteous vessels, and they have left thee naked and bare. The Lord is going to have the Babylonians destroy Israel, all of its pagan altars and pagan statues, and rob it of all of its resources and wealth. 40. And have caused an assembly to come up against thee, and stoned thee with stones, and thrust thee through with their swords. 
This is a metaphor. He's saying that this whore is going to get stoned and stabbed by the pagan nations. And it will feel that way to Israel because the nations that fall under the umbrella of Babylon are going to trample the entire land of Israel and kill many people. 41. And burnt thy houses with fire, and done in thee judgments before the eyes of many women, and I have caused thee to cease from going a-whoring, and also a gift thou givest no more. Israel will be judged before women. This is also a metaphor, meaning that Israel will be judged before other nations, because female means many. Israel will be judged before many people. And Israel won't be able to go whoring anymore because no one will want anything from her. She'll have absolutely nothing left to give. 42. And I have caused my fury against thee to rest, and my jealousy hath turned aside from thee, and I have been quiet and I am not angry anymore. The Lord says after her punishment is complete, then he won't be angry anymore. 43. Because thou hast not remembered the days of thy youth, and dost give trouble to me in all these, lo, even I also thy way, at first gave up an affirmation of the Lord Jehovah, and I did not this thought for all thine abominations. He didn't punish Israel quickly, he gave Israel decades of time to repent, but now he is going to punish Israel because Israel never remembered her beginnings, that the Lord was the one who gave her life and nobody else did. 44. Lo, everyone using a simile doth use a simile concerning thee, saying, as the mother, her daughter. You know how they say a chip off the old block? Well, the Lord says that there's going to be a new saying, as the mother, so is the daughter. And now he's going to talk about the metaphorical mother of Israel. 45. Thy mother's daughter thou art, loathing her husband and her sons, and thy sister's sister thou art, who loathed their husbands and their sons. Your mother is a Hittite, and your father an Amorite. He starts out by describing Israel's mother. She came from a pagan land. 46. And thine elder sister is Samaria, she and her daughters, who is dwelling at thy left hand, and thy younger sister who is dwelling on thy right is Sodom and her daughters. Israel is a sister to Sodom of Sodom and Gomorrah, meaning that the sins that are committed in Israel are the same sins that were committed in Sodom. So they're committing great sexual perversity and every other perverse sin. Samaria was a pagan capital in Israel that was the kingdom of the ten tribes of Israel. And then Jerusalem was the capital of the two tribes of Judah and the Levites. This was after the kingdom of Israel was split in two. 47. And in their ways thou hast not walked, and according to their abominations done, as a little thing it hath been loathed and thou dost more corruptly than they in all thy ways. 48. I live an affirmation of the Lord Jehovah. Sodom thy sister hath not done, she and her daughters, as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. The Israelites were practicing paganism just as evil and heinous as the pagan in Sodom. 49. Lo, this hath been the iniquity of Sodom thy sister, arrogancy, 
fullness of bread, and quiet ease hath been to her and to her daughters, and the hand of the afflicted and needy she hath not strengthened. Just like Sodom didn't take care of its poor and its helpless and needy, the Israelites didn't take care of their poor either. They turned their backs on the poor because they were greedy. Paganism causes greediness because the reason that you sacrifice your children to the gods and the reason that you do the sexually perverse acts is for prosperity. If your focus is on prosperity, you're going to become greedy and selfish and you won't care about people who suffer around you. But God's law required that the Israelites take care of anyone who is suffering and poor, but they weren't doing it as long as they obeyed the pagan gods. 50. And they are haughty to do abomination before me, and I turn them aside when I have seen. The Lord says he doesn't even want to look at people who are prideful, and they think that they're better than the poor, and they commit abominations against the Lord. 51. As to Samaria, as the half of thy sins, she hath not sinned, and thou dost multiply thine abominations more than they, and dost justify thy sisters by all thy abominations that thou hast done. He's saying that Samaria is more guilty than Sodom was, because Samaria knew better. Samaria had the law of God, and they had all the blessings of the Lord, and they still committed the same sins that Sodom did. But Sodom never knew the laws of the Lord. 52. Thou also bear thy shame that thou hast adjudged to thy sister, because of thy sins that thou hast done more abundantly than they. They are more righteous than thou, and thou also be ashamed and bear thy shame in thy justifying thy sisters. Sodom is more righteous than Jerusalem, and Sodom was the city of great perversity that the Lord destroyed during Abraham's life. 53. And I have turned back to their captivity, the captivity of Sodom and her daughters, and the captivity of Samaria and her daughters, and the captivity of thy captives in their midst. 54. So that thou dost bear thy shame, and hast been ashamed of all that thou hast done, in thy comforting them. The Lord, in his abundant mercy, is actually promising that on a future date, Samaria and Sodom and Jerusalem will be restored. We know that Jerusalem was restored during King Cyrus's time, when he was king in Persia, and then people were able to come back to the area of Samaria as well. As far as Sodom, the city of Sodom is still in ruins to this very day. But it could mean that the Lord would restore the lives of pagans. This would have to be through salvation in Jesus Christ. Any pagan can turn to Christ, and any Gentile can turn to Christ and be saved. 56. And thy sister Sodom hath not been for a report in thy mouth in the day of thine arrogancy. 57. Before thy wickedness is revealed, as at the time of the reproach of the daughters of Aram, and of all her neighbors, the daughters of the Philistines, who were despising thee round about. The Lord is promising to restore the future generations of pagans in part, to be a witness to Judah and Israel that the Lord is having compassion on the pagans because the people of Israel and Judah refused to obey him. The Lord is saying, 
because you don't want to fall under my grace, I'm going to give my grace to other people. 58. Thy devices and thine abominations, thou hast borne them, an affirmation of Jehovah. The Lord says they will pay the punishment for the sins that they have committed. 59. For thus said the Lord Jehovah, I have dealt with thee as thou hast done, in that thou hast despised an oath to break covenant. Here is our evidence. Covenants can be broken, and that's why they're called covenants. Modern-day Bible teachers are teaching people in churches that because God has a covenant with us, He made a promise that He can never break, and that is absolutely not true. A covenant is when both parties on either side make a promise, and if one of them violates their side of the agreement, the covenant is broken for both. When we violate our half of the covenant with God by going a-whoring and worshiping false idols and worshiping ourselves and refusing to obey His commandments, then His covenant of salvation with us is broken because we broke our half of it. And that's what the Lord says here in verse 59. You broke the covenant, and covenants can be broken if one party doesn't keep their set of the agreement. Marriage is a covenant, and that's why marriage is a metaphor for our relationship with God, because it is a covenant. Both parties have to be true to each other. If they commit adultery, you have the right to leave them. You don't have to leave them, but you have every right because they've broken the covenant. And the Lord says, when Israel committed idolatry against him, Israel broke the covenant. So that's why Israel was destroyed, the entire land. But because he's so good, he loves to reestablish the covenant when we repent. And he doesn't have to do that. There's no spiritual law that says that God has to save us when we repent. He does it by choice, because he's loving. Today there are false pastors who say that the Lord has no choice, that he has to save us, that he has to heal us, that he has to do all these things. And it's absolutely not true. God is God. If God didn't have a choice, he wouldn't be God anymore. He does things because he loves us, not because he has to. The Lord owes us absolutely nothing. All of us have broken our covenant with him, and he'll never owe us anything. But because he is love, he allows us to reestablish the covenant if we turn back to him. 60. And I, I have remembered my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I have established for thee a covenant age during. He's saying, I will reestablish the covenant with you when you turn back to me. And that's because of his love, not because he owes us anything. 61. And thou hast remembered thy ways, and thou hast been ashamed in thy receiving thy sisters, thine elder with thy younger and I have given them to thee for daughters, and not by thy covenant. The Lord says to Judah and Israel, You will repent of your ways in the future, and you will be ashamed of following the sins of Samaria and Sodom. 62. And I, I have established my covenant with thee, and thou hast known that I am Jehovah. And he says, After you repent, I am going to reestablish the covenant that was broken. 63. So that thou dost remember, and thou hast been ashamed, and there is not to thee any more an opening of the mouth because of thy shame, in my receiving atonement for thee, for all that thou hast done, 
and affirmation of the Lord Jehovah. The Israelites will never protest again because of their shame for their sins. So this is definitely talking about the millennial reign of Christ, because to this date, the Israelites still are not ashamed of sinning against the Lord. They haven't received his son, and they don't really obey his commandments. They obey their man-made traditions. They don't obey the commandments of God. But the day is coming when they will have genuine shame for their sins, because they will truly belong to him as repentant children. And that concludes Ezekiel chapter 16.